Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah with a few announcements. Thanks to everyone who came to Campus Christmas. What a wonderful show for an incredible cause. It's not too late to donate to the Say It Loud Club if you couldn't come. One more show before Christmas, King's Place, two episodes on Wednesday the 14th of December. Back with a bang in the new year with four shows at Soho Theatre. On Wednesday the 4th of January, we're having a very special town hall where we try and solve a problem together and you can come up and take the mic. On Thursday the 5th of January, we're having a special. uh, Shapi Kosandi and I are co-hosting a special about the terrible situation in Iran. And on Friday the 6th of January and Saturday the 7th of January, guests to be announced. Thursday the 26th of January, we are back at King's Place. Sunday 29th of January, we're at the Rose Theatre in Kingston. For more details and to book, go to guiltyfeminist.com. Join our Patreon to support the show and get ad-free episodes and more besides. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. And now, back to the show. Hello Christchurch! for a little bit more Guilty Feminist? Then please welcome to the stage Cal Wilson and Deborah Francis-White. I've got so much trouser to adjust as I sit down. They're so great. They're so great. Cal Wilson, it's Mm. been too long since I've seen you. Two and a half years. Now... The last time I saw you... It was a long interval. (laughs) 
February 2020, you yes. and I went on tour together. We did lots of dates together. The last dates were in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. We did Christchurch, uh, Wellington, Auckland, I think. And I remember the show. That was, we did a show at the Wellington Arena, and there was this thing called COVID in the news. And there yeah. were some jokes about it. It was yeah. like, but not like mean jokes, but like, you know, it was a, it started on a cruise ship or something. You know, we'd, we'd heard this, you know, thing about a cruise ship. And we did a... Remember we had that vibrator on the stage that Grace referenced before? Yes. And uh, there was... <laughs> <laughs> That's Grace remembering it again. Yes. Uh, and it was all really fun. And we had such a good time in New Zealand. We said, right, Grace said, we've got to come back here. And uh, she said, I'm going to come back here on tour as soon as possible. And I said, I think I'm going to come back to Australia and New Zealand a second time this year. I think we should tour twice because that's how good the tour was. And uh, we did this final big show. I think it was, a, was the I think it was the final one might have been Auckland, but mm -hmm. the, the biggest show was Wellington. And then we got then we go on. Uh, there was a moment in Auckland where um, we had been uh, asked invited to the Sky Tower to um, have drinks, and. Deborah did this amazing job of blagging our way into a private party. Like, she did this incredible job of, like, talking us up the Sky Tower into this private party, but it was for Deborah. And we didn't know until after she'd convinced them to let her in that it was, oh, no, that was for us anyway. But... Did I crash that? my own party? You crashed your own party. Like, did I crash the VIP room at my own you party? Did, like, it was that an does amazing like job. Me. Like, even if it had been for someone else, we would have got in. But you did put more effort in than you needed. Strictly needed <laughs> to get into my own party. I do remember that. There was a, a guilty feminist listener who was such a big fan of uh, the show, and she worked for the Sky Tower at the time. Yes. So we got fancy night in a suite. and a You got and fancy got... night in a suite. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I got a fancy night in the suite, and we, yeah, she threw us this party at the top of the Sky Tower, private party mm. with free booze and stuff. If you're listening, Sky Tower, she's left now. She's, <laughs> no, she's gone to do a feminist job. She went, she was like, she felt so inspired by the, you know, the show and everything. She just said, I, I can't do hospitality anymore. I'm going to go and do something feminist, which, I mean, I'm all for, <laughs> but she's left hospitality, and there's no more VIP parties for us. So if you're listening and you're in hospitality and you're thinking, Deborah needs more private parties. But, but what she needs is a party that she feels she's earned. So, like, you've got to... Even if it's for her, you've got to pretend it's not. You've got to be like, oh, no, this is for Joe Rogan. Oh, oh, no, this is a private party for Jordan Peterson. And then Deborah blags away. Surprise, we're all feminists. I cannot imagine me ever wanting to crash the Joe Rogan hour party. Can you imagine the grim men who would be in that party? And listen, I listen. I love men. I may, many men. I don't want to be like Ooh, straight women. You know, like I've got so many, so many. You know, some of my favourite husbands are straight white men. A lot of my favourite David Attenboroughs are straight white men. You know, like it's not that at all. It's just that the men who listen to Joe Rogan and would bother to show up for the party. I mean, what a crossover episode, though, really. Like, we have done take... some crossover episodes, like with really. With Joe Rogan? No, no, no. With things that, like No take... Such Thing as a Fish, or, you know, we're doing ones with Brown Girls Do It Too. I haven't thought of doing one with Joe Rogan. I might approach him. 
just to see. I mean, wouldn't it be something? It might be worth doing. You it know? would. It would probably take in the population of the entire world. <laughs> we look. I could win him over. Maybe. So, I just like envisaging you with like a little little piece of chocolate in your hand and just holding it out with your hand, your fingers flat, like you know when you when you're at Willow Bank <laughs> and his little waffly nose, like oh, what's this? Do you think I could get Joe Rogan with twi- with treats? Maybe I don't know. I was visualising a donkey then, but <laughs> Joe Rogan, if you're listening and you would like a treat of any sort, slash you want to do a crossover episode with me. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm all about building bridges. And if I could build a bridge to Joe Rogan and lure him over it, I absolutely would. I think my chances are minimal. I'll be honest. He's making a lot of money being Joe Rogan. I feel we're in a field of dreams moment <laughs> where, you know, if you build, if you build it. it they will come. Like, I feel like we've said it out loud. Like we're kind of, the more we're talking about it, the more real we're making it. It's like in Peter Pan when you have to clap for Tinkerbell so that she knows she exists. Like, the more we talk about it... I'm manifesting, I'm manifesting, I'm doing the secret, I'm doing the secret. Do you... I, it, would be a, it would be impactful. If Joe Rogan went, the feminists are right. I think it would... I mean, I probably, actually, what would happen is a lot of his followers would just go, oh, he's lost it. You know, they've, they've won him he over needs to... Eat more we've, meat. Lost, we've lost him to wokeness. Do you think that's what would happen? Probably. Or do you think they'd, he'd bring some along? I don't know. Is there anyone here that loves Joe Rogan as well as the guilty feminist? In the Venn diagram. Who's in the Venn diagram? Imagine, imagine if it was like his mum in the audience going, I do. Look, I've talked to him, but... Is Joe Rogan's mum in? No. Imagine. Um, imagine. I think Christchurch would have made a fuss if that was... Like, oh, we... we um, uh, they split the atom here and Joe Rogan happened. I think that's probably Christchurch would... Yeah. That, that, Ernest that Rutherford did do that, didn't he? Like, he did... Who were the New Zealand... Who's... From Nelson. I'm sorry, Nelson. I'm who, sorry, Nelson. Who's the New Zealand uh, Joe Rogan? Like, who's the Kiwi... Uh, oh, it's an auction. I'm just hearing... The National Party! <laughs> who's the one we need to win over? Who do we need to win over in New Zealand? Brian Tamaki. Did someone genuinely say that, or is it just my 51-year-old ears that have just... Who? Brian, Bishop, Bishop Brian Tamaki? A bishop has a podcast. No, not no, don't, let's not talk about him. Um, <laughs> let's get back to safer waters. Okay, okay. Does anyone know Jacinda Ardern? Can I, yes? Can you, anyone WhatsApp her and see if she'll do The Guilty Feminist? Someone I, someone I met has WhatsApped her and asked her to do it. So I feel like the more people who WhatsApp her, the more likely mm. she is to go, oh, I should do it. Maybe we should have done this before tonight. <laughs> no, no, I'm, this is an ongoing project, Cal. And I've said... Well, we haven't been to Wellington yet. We've I'm, got two days. Well, <laughs> so in two days, who knows Jacinda well enough to get her to come and do The Guilty Feminist on Sunday night? But I'll night. come back especially if she'll do it. Like, I'll come oh, back... that's a good idea. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'll have to do it around her diary. The person who... The person who... Let's be honest... The person who asked me said, oh, you've got three shows here and you wanted to do one of those. And I was like, no, she's not going to be available around my diary. Whenever she wants to do it, I'll come and do it around her diary. And I don't also, for security reasons, we don't have to say she's on. 
we can just sell the show and then she can just come out. And people will go, gosh, she looks a lot like the Prime Minister. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we would... Do you remember we did that with Julia Gillard in Sydney? Yes. When I was reading out her bio, I said something about she was a solicitor. And, like, I read out the most obscure parts of her bio first. And then... It, you could see some people going, what? like people who knew her bio more than others going, that sounds like... And then when I got up to the part where she gave the misogyny speech in the House of Commons, or not the House of Commons, what's it called in Australia? The Bear Pit. Thank you. <laughs> um, she, people just went ballistic to the extent where the sound engineer said, you can't hear who it is. They said that you, the audience at home will not know who it is because the people just were roaring. Um, with excitement. So I reckon we could do the same with Jacinda Ardern. So if suddenly there is an unannounced... There's a, just a show and you don't know who the guest is. Just a, like, randomly, Deb's coming back to New Zealand for just one show. And it's at a big venue. You should come. Because you know who it is. But also, if I'm not on that show, don't buy any tickets. Just, you, you have to bring me back. Yeah, but I always do bring you, Cal. You know I do. You know, you know, uh, yeah, with, this is, you're my New Zealand work wife. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. Absolutely. Um, so we should bring our guests on, but before we do, I just want to say, um, has your lockdown period, have you come out of that stronger and more feminist, or do you feel kind of exhausted by the experience? Where are we? Do we need to bolster you up, or do you oh. feel like the time spent locked away because Melbourne was locked down so much so much do you feel emboldened and ready for action or do we need to give you some Christchurch love because you're on home hometown territory oh look I bought a packet of cheese busters from Coopland's Bakery and I'm <laughs> fine <laughs> I don't understand any of those words Cheese busters. Oh my god! Oh my. So my husband is Australian, and um, you know proximity, and to where you are, and he was the best one. Like no, genuinely, genuinely, that sounds like I'm underselling. He's fucking great. I love him. Uh, he doesn't listen to this. I don't need to say that, but I adore him. He doesn't him. listen. Never, never to me. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is, uh, so I've introduced him to many Kiwi things, right? Mm-hmm. And so every time we come, we have to have fish and chips with a donut. Because Australians don't understand that a donut from the fish shop is the best place to get a donut. They're like, what? And it goes in the oil with the fish, and you're like, yeah. (laughs) They don't get it. They don't get it. It is delicious. We've got two days for you to have a donut from the fish and chip shop. Honestly, Deborah. I mean, the only reason I'm tempted to go is I've never been to the fish and chip shop in New Zealand. And it's the most famous thing about you is the way you say (laughs) fish and chips. So racist. I mean... Would we say racist or would we say we're cousins, siblings, and we're allowed to tease each Don't other? Don't you gaslight me. <laughs> so, back oh, to... What I love is that your husband's name is Chris. Chris. Oh, so we're going to introduce my Australian husband, Chris, to my grandmother, who's from Omaru. Uh, and he said, my name's Chris. And she went, crease, like fold. <laughs> your friend who I think is in the audience who I met him in London in the 90s dating this story wildly during Britpop and everyone always called him Grug Grug that was the that was it was a it was a running gag in London that he was called Grug and everyone's going I don't see what the joke is (laughs) like when when Jenny before was talking and you were calling her Jeannie I was like no no she's Jenny 
But am I wrong, Jenny? Are you Jenny or Jeannie? You're Jeannie. You're Jeannie. Well, oh, she's Jen. Oh, you're Jenny. Unfortunately, you've killed Cal. The rest of the show will just be me. So, donut from the fish and chip shop. Donut from the fish and chip uh, shop. What is thick and rich tomato sauce? What? Thick and rich. Wish I'd never started this. Um, uh, yeah. So, what is tomato sauce? Yes. And cheese busters. What busters? Cheese busters. It's like a It's like a plank. It's like a plank of plywood made out of cheese. A plank of. It's like it's a big. It's a big flat biscuit. That's extremely crumbly once you approach it. Oh, and so it's, it's like um, pastry. So cheesy like, pastry. It's like pastry that wants to be a biscuit and is sort of halfway there. And then it comes in a packet. It's that, transitioning. Yeah, it's like, a, it's, it's, like a, it's an intersectional biscuit. It's a, it's a, a pastry biscuit. It's a bis, It's a bistry. It's a bistry. Comes in a packet that doesn't protect it in any way, and it always arrives in Melbourne as crumbs. That's all it's. I'm amazed you're allowed to ship it in because in Australia they're very weird about food coming well, in. Well, it doesn't really count as a food, so it's. <laughs> I and sent my family thing... a hamper from Fortnum and Masons, that posh department store in London, because it's also a nice thing to get at you know end of the year or that you know sort of wicker hamper, and it's got like lovely kind of English jams and things inside. They they stole the wicker hamper at customs because <gasps> they said it might have termites in it or something. Oh, it might have and termites, or we might have a picnic. Yeah, and they they opened all the marmalades and stuff like that and searched them <laughs> does, for. Does Paddington Beer work at customs? Yeah, <laughs> it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And the way sometimes when you come in, if you have anything that sort of could have could be food, even a small child. I'll be like, <laughs> if it's got like jam around its mouth or yeah, something, or just that child could be cooked and eaten, you know, that kind of thing. They're very, they're very. I uh, I came back from the UK at the beginning of this year, and I ran through the Fortnum and Mason's bit. I was I was late for the plane, and I ran through, and I grabbed these because Fortnum and Mason Mason posh fancy English food, and so I grabbed like these tubes of biscuits that were beautifully designed, and like, oh, what lovely tins, they must be delicious. And I brought them to my mum and dad, and because I was so panicked about nearly missing the flight, I chose shortbread flavoured with rose and flavoured with violet. And we tried them the other day, and it was like uh, nibbling an old lady's drawer. <laughs> it was... It was like, like we'd opened a medicine cupboard in an elderly person's house and just bitten things inside. It was... Dad goes, well, this is interesting. It's a little bit like shampoo. And I was like, Graham, it's fucking a lot like shampoo. It's a lot. And so we got, we got halfway through a, a, a violet one and it was like, no, really, I feel like I've, I've eaten an elderly aunt. Like it was... And then the rose ones, the rose, the, the rose, the rose ones were approximately food. Like they were approximately, oh, well, you you might eat this by choice, but they were awful. And and so we like, I just laughed myself stupid at what I'd inflicted on my elderly parents. And then today, when I saw them, mum went, look, I'm terribly sorry to have to tell you, but we gave them to the birds. <laughs> and she goes, and they ate everything else, and they just left them there. <laughs> And then she goes, and then one little sparrow came and had a bite and it went away. And then it came back and it had another bite. Then it came back and there was basically once, there was nothing else to the birds that were like, all right, we'll eat the elderly lady. Like, Even the birds. Top what of the a bag. stunning linear intro we've done to the second half. I just wanted to catch up, you know, and really root down. 
that's probably the wrong thing to say in this <laughs> neck of the woods, isn't it? I think what we can take from this conversation is that tomorrow we're going to a fish and chip shop. Yeah. And you're going to make me order so that you can hear me say it, but we're going to have a donut. You're going to have a donut. I'm going to give it a go, Christchurch. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be there at 11 o'clock at the bakery, she said, so if you want an extension of the show, come in, gather round. We have to go to every Coupland's bakery in Christchurch. <laughs> Meet you all there. Um, come dressed as a cheesebuster. <laughs> or a bird. Okay, we've got to get our guests on. Our first guest today is Professor of Critical Animal Studies and co-director of the New Zealand Centre for Human Animal Studies at the University of Canterbury. Her PhD, her PhD in psychology was on feminist critiques of the medical model and so-called sexual dysfunctions. But for the past 20 years, she's been focusing her research and teaching on the links between human oppression and marginalization and animal oppression and exploitation. She has written many books, and her latest research is to be published in a book called Feminist Animal Studies. And it examines how female animal bodies have been used in sometimes painful experiments in pharmacological research aimed at finding drugs for women that will be as profitable as Viagra was marketed to men. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Annie Potts. Hello, Annie. Come take a seat. Annie. Annie is joined by her colleague, who is a critical and public sociologist whose research, informed by critical intersectional feminism, focuses on mechanisms of power and marginalization expressed in through human relationships with other species. This reminds me of being at university and how you have to talk like this all the time. <laughs> she is currently co-director with Annie Potts of the New Zealand Centre for Animal Studies at the University of Canterbury. Give us a cheer if you went to the University of Canterbury. <laughs> oh, give us a cheer if you didn't. <laughs> oh, I thought that was just going to be one person. Just, just, did you go there, Cameron? Leave him alone, Deborah. <laughs> You're so, I'm just trying to bring him in and make him feel welcome. Where she also teaches... Sorry, I'm back to the guest now. Um, she also teaches topics in the Human Services Programme that focus on human-animal violence links, scholar advocacy and social change for other animals. Her latest research addresses the difficulties of doing radical feminist and animal liberation scholarship in the neoliberal university along with the potential for feminist animal sanctuary work to create more respectful and expansive human-animal relations. Please welcome to the stage, Nick Taylor! <laughs> hello, Nick. Hello, Annie. Hello, Nick. Um, now, already, just from reading your biogs and the, you know, the research I've done about you, um, I already feel less feminist in your presence. Um, <laughs> First of all, give us a cheer if you're a vegan. Okay, so we've got we've got some we've got some the vegans are very loud, but not very many in number. Um, always a small. I mean, there, there's more vegans in this room than there would be at Joe Rogan's show, and I think I, I want credit for that. Yes. I don't know why I deserve it, as I myself am not vegan, yeah, but I feel I've drawn an audience in that's that's likely to be vegan. Just give us a cheer if you're more plant-based now than you were when you started identifying with feminism or started listening to this podcast. Yeah, more people. I've, I'm definitely more plant-based than I was, and I aim to be more plant-based. Um, 
Can you tell us what is the link between feminism and the way we treat animals? Sure. Uh, it's Nick. <laughs> Nick's going to do this one. I give the examples. Okay. She's the true academic here. <laughs> no, not true. Not, no. I, I've um, just read that your work's going to be in a book called Feminism and Animals, Annie, so, you know. No, but, you know. Just put the mic up a little bit. Oh, sorry. So, yes. No, just so that the podcast can pick you up. Sorry. No, don't. No, please don't apologise. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, don't apologise for apologising. <laughs> just to, oh, imagine that you're male academics, and that you're in a big full theatre no, of people that... just cheering for you and loving you before you've even begun. I know. I'm a feminist, but I say sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's no. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> uh, uh, we we don't want you to feel sorry for being sorry. Nick, <laughs> tell us, what's the link between feminism and the way we treat animals? Um, it's a big question. There's a lot of links, really. And um, however I answer this, I'm bound to piss somebody off. Um, but for me, the link, it, it's an extension world. of intersectionality. So um, it's an outgrowth of kind of eco-feminist ideas from the 1970s where um, we became aware that the the oppression of nature and the oppression of women were linked, that the mechanisms that allowed us to, to normalise one allowed us to normalise the other. And feminist animal studies, to me at least, is an outgrowth of that, where the focus is more on animal species as opposed to nature generically. Got it. So do you think that the way we treat species that can't speak for themselves and therefore we can subjugate them has a broader implication because we're having to shut off some of our empathy to do that because we're having to just go, oh, let's just pretend that isn't true. Uh, is, that, is that why it's linked, that we, we, will, we will never really get equality for human beings until we get equality for animals or, like, compassionate treatment of animals? I, I, I'm tempted to just say yes. <laughs> I think it's one of the ways. I certainly think that... The kind of the way that we normalise the everyday violence that we do to animals closes down avenues for empathy. And once you start to do that, you close down avenues for empathy for any being that's marginalised, whether mm. it's by species or by skin colour or by any other form of um, of kind of marker that we have that marginalises people and other animals. So that's the long version. The short version was yes. <laughs> so what's your work really about so when you're, you're doing your theses and when you're publishing your papers what's the thrust of your work well, Annie? our work is different um, we're both in the area of uh, intersectional critical animal studies um, my, I guess my focus is on capitalism and consumption and how uh, I think that I think that actually people aren't aware of things and they need to have things exposed to them to be educated and then they might make better choices about particular consumption. So um, for me, uh, I think about food politics and how, um, well, Nick and I are both vegan. We weren't always vegan, of course. Well, some people are born vegan, but we weren't. Um, we, I mean, I was vegetarian for 20 years, and then uh, it was actually my partner, who's here, Philip Armstrong, who's 
also founded the New Zealand Centre for Human Animal Studies with me. Um, this is back, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, it was him who said that, well, we need to become vegan because once you start to be aware, it's hard to block that out. Mm -hmm. And as a feminist, I only have to look at what's happening to the reproductive bodies of female animals in animal agriculture and, um, you know, to make a profit, to see that there's a link. So if you think about, you know, what happens in dairy farms, uh, the cows are kept pregnant for their milk, but their babies are taken off them. Um, mm. And if they're male babies, they're taken off to slaughter within a few days, so the females keep pregnant. And so if you're supporting that industry, you're basically supporting the abuse of female animal bodies and reproductive systems, as well as the murder, slaughter of uh, baby male calves. Um, so, you know, but people don't know about these things. So it's kind of like raising awareness, really. And then you, you, then you make an informed choice as a consumer whether you're prepared to support that system, particularly, I think, as a feminist. I don't support a system that abuses female animals' bodies. I mean, we're female animals, and you know, I don't support the abuse of women's bodies, and I don't support it of any other animals' bodies. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Cal, mm. you had a question. <laughs> how, how do you... Like, it seems to be such a, a big, charged, emotional topic. You know, and like, like, when you say you're vegan, you, you immediately invite an attitude from other people. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you educate people without there being defences up from... Like, I'm, I'm a meat eater, mm -hmm. and... It's confronting here. Like I, yeah. I didn't know a bit that cows were kept pregnant, and then like, I had no idea about that until exactly. really recently. Yeah. So how, like, what are the challenges of trying to communicate those ideas without either 
side of the conversation mm. being defensive? Mm. Um, do you want... Mm. I'd say the short version is carefully, is how you teach people about that yeah. stuff. <laughs> and we both teach this material to students, mm. to undergraduates, to postgraduates. Um, and you carefully with a lot of boundaries. Um, I tend to lean a lot on feminist scholarship. People like Bell Hooks, who do a lot of work about, you know, teaching critical thinking. And I'm so, reading her book called, uh, about critical thinking at the moment. It's really incredible. It's wonderful, isn't it's it? It's so good. She was immense. We, she's such a loss. But, mm. uh, but she, yeah, she is very, very good at building bridges. And there is, I think, a contemporary trend mm. towards sort of shouting at people and shaming them, and often then they quickly apologise or disappear or say they agree with you when they don't and it doesn't really change anything. Mm. How are you, are you trying to win over people's hearts and in doing so, or minds in doing so to get them to change their behaviour? How are you using the, like the work of someone like Bell Hooks to, to change attitudes and behaviours? I mean... The, the attempt to change behaviours and attitudes, I do it in a lot of walks of life. I use bell hooks particularly in teaching. So um, I tend to start my students reading bell hooks and have a conversation with them about what a classroom where we foster crit critical thinking looks like. And then we have a pretty frank conversation in the very first week. Um, and I do it in the first week deliberately so that students who hate the idea can go away, get the money back, do a different course. Um, oh, do you? <laughs> and, and, you know, and we, we set boundaries around the fact that we're going to be questioning whether meat-eating is normal and we're going to actually be flipping things on the head and normalising veganism in the classroom and, and how do we talk to each other with curiosity but with respect. Mm. Um, because I, what, I, what I don't think you can do is, is shut down the conversation because it gets you nowhere. But at the same time, you don't want people screaming at you because they've got an entrenched position. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is really carefully kind of cultivate this idea that we can ask questions if people are open to being asked questions about their veganism, about their feminism, whatever. Um, but you need to do so with respectful curiosity rather than with an attempt to put down their beliefs and to poke holes in their beliefs. Because you, you may not know, but as a vegan, the first thing you do when you tell, well, if you tell someone that you're vegan, the first thing that happens is, oh, well, do you wear leather? Well, do you wear wool? Well, do you, mm. you know, they constantly look for holes yeah. and it's like, that's not what we're gonna do in the classroom. That's not critical mm. thinking. That's moral high grounding. What we're actually gonna do is, is sit down and have some pretty tough conversation and hopefully some giggles as we get through this stuff and learn from each other, really. And, and I don't actually, I don't, in my courses at undergrad level, we tend to focus on popular culture. So they learn through that. What, and like meat eating in Family Guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly, that kind of thing. <laughs> really? So, well, like. Tell um, us about that. No, I, I don't teach Family Guy, though I do watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I use films like, um, I'm thinking of one now, um, like The Island of Dr Moreau. I don't know if you've ever seen that. There's a really bad version of it with Marlon Brando in his last role. And it's all about vivisection, really. Oh. And, um, but it's also really camp and very funny. And um, so we talk about animal experimentation, but through the use of a, 
a lighter film um, so the issues don't appear too threatening. It's much easier to do it when you, when you work with popular culture. Nobody tends to feel threatened. Mm. Um, and then they're asked to look at stuff in their own essays and that's their own stuff then. And do you find if they do your full course that it's a, there's a trend that they start to become vegan? There are always around five to ten people who write and say that their lives have been transformed. Wow. Yeah, but mainly because, I mean, honestly, it's really just because we're teaching things that they didn't know about. We don't say to them, do this, you must do this, and you must be like that. I mean, I call that vegangelical. And, <laughs> you know, nobody likes a fundamentalist Christian and they don't like a fundamentalist vegan. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> we don't want to be fundamentalist. I'll be honest, you two are a lot more fun than I thought you were going to be. <laughs> I mean, I read about your thought. They're very important. I mean, I asked for you to come on the show, um, and I thought, this is important, and we need to hear about it, and they're, they're world experts, and they're here in Christchurch. We should absolutely have them on. But I didn't think you were going to be as much fun <laughs> at all. I thought this was going to be a bit sad and a bit serious, and every time we make a joke, they're going to look at us like... Why? Why are you laughing? There's no need for laughing. No. So I'm loving you. I'm loving you. You're so reasonable. Well, <laughs> Nick and I are also very working class. And we're very proud of that, being in the academy and being working class girls. And um, one of the things about being a vegan is that you get to fart a lot more. <laughs> being working class, <laughs> we love that opportunity. <laughs> not at all where I thought it was going to go. Um, tell us about the... I, I, I hesitate to do this now because we're having such a good time. Um, of all the sentences that were going to be said tonight, that was not no, one that I was not, expecting. There's nothing on my clipboard about this at all. Um, uh, yes, all, all of the other subjects I'm, I hesitate to go to because we're having such a good time and some of them are sad. Um, so, animals in emergencies. Let's go to that one. Um, what happens to animals in emergencies? There's an earthquake here in Christchurch. Yeah. We know that that's happened and, and that's been terribly difficult. Uh, what happens to animals in those situations? Well, unfortunately, in most cases, the animals are the last to be thought of. Mm. Um, and what happened in Christchurch was that a lot of animals got left behind because there wasn't a civil defence policy to evacuate them with the humans that they loved and lived with. So this is pets, domestic pets? Pets, yeah, but also, well, yeah, there's pets, but, I mean, my um, colleague, Danielle Goodine, and I, who wrote that book that you're talking about, um, we also found out what happened in laboratories at Canterbury University and the Otago Medical School and what happened to the animals there, um, which wasn't nice. Um, mm. Because, of course, if animals are confined and an emergency happens, they can't get out, so they're trapped and they have injuries, but they actually can't escape. Um, so do, what do we need to do to make sure animals are safe in an emergency? Well, I think we just need to ensure that our emergency policies are Include improved. animals. Include animals, absolutely. And, um, and that has changed in New Zealand since the earthquakes. Um, there was a group that I was part of for a while called the National Animal Welfare and Emergencies um, Advisory Group, which advised government 
to change the policy because before animals had not been anywhere in it. Um, and this isn't just um, companion animals or farm animals or lab animals. There were also people who gave stories to us for the book about um, in parts of Christchurch where there had been liquefaction, so the, you know, the mud coming up from the, um, after the earthquake comes bubbles up and um, hedgehogs got stuck in it and people's oh, chickens that got stuck oh. in it and died because they couldn't move anymore, and, you know. So there were stories like that. Um, so there were lots of people out helping around the place, but there was just no policy set, really, that, you know... And, and all the years since the earthquake, and obviously I wasn't here when it happened, but my whole family is here, I've never heard that before. Mm. I've, never, I've, I've never thought about the liquefaction affecting mm. animals mm. like that or the or lab animals being trapped or yeah. it, like it's such a um but when you say it it's such an obvious Yeah, it is. And and there were cows who were being milked who were killed on you know, in the machinery and stuff when things happen. So speaking of lab animals, um Andy, you've looked at how female animals' bodies have been used in experiments in research aimed at finding drugs for women that will be as profitable as Viagra was when marketed for men. Mm. What kind of drugs are they experimenting on animal bodies on mm. that are sort of... Because Viagra's got that feel around it yeah. of being a kind of social drug. Is that yeah. what you mean? That it's... Mm. How do we reconcile this? Because I really struggle with this. Yeah. There are some diseases and things that have been... Cured and people's lives have been made immeasurably better. I think it's hard for us to, to we, we, most of it's not in living memory of how many people were ill and how many people died and died of terrible things. And then we've, you know, a lot of the researchers in science have happened with experiments on animals, but then who are we, just because we're the, the species that can dominate and colonize, to? gang up on other species that can't talk for themselves. If animals could advocate for themselves, let's be incredibly honest. We would, we would not do experiments on them. Mm. Um, if animals could speak, we wouldn't kill them and That's kill right. them. We mm. wouldn't, it's clear. We, we, we pick on them because they can't advocate for themselves mm. and mm. it's really awful. And also, I am aware that some animals aren't as sentient as others. Oysters aren't sentient. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, there is a, a feeling that there's a sort of continuum and, and what do we do? Should we, if we could, turn back time and not have any of those advances in science or find other ways of having advances in medicine? Like, what's the ideal there? Gee, well, if I could answer that, I'd probably be you know, in charge of the world. I think that's a really... I'm like, open to you being in charge of the world. You seem great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, I will then. <laughs> I'll be in charge of the world. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it's a very tricky um, question, and Nick, I might pass this over to Nick shortly. <laughs> oh, I see. Because I see. she gets the tricky ones. But I do just want to talk about one case where we can start to think differently about how we use drugs. And, mm -hmm. and what that is, um, there'll be some people probably in this room who are my age and older on HRT. Mm. <laughs> I, okay. Someone's had too much. Sorry, I'm not, but that might be TMI for some people. But actually, um, what my research showed was that people, again, don't know, women don't know this, but if they're on Premarin, 
which basically is a very well-known HRT drug. It's, uh, it stands for pregnant mare's urine, the premarin, and what happens is the mares are kept like dairy cows are kept, pregnant all the time. They have catheters attached to them with bags where the urine drops in. They're in stalls where they can't move around, and they have foals after foals after foals. Some of the foals come back into the premarin system to produce urine for the drug, and others are just taken to slaughter straight away because they're surplus. So it's very like the dairy industry. And um, when you get this drug prescribed for you, it just says premarin. And you have to look at the real, like, small print where it might say equine estrogen oh. but you know not everyone knows what equine means and um so as so if you're on premarin you're having horse hormones basically. you are having well not just horse hormones but you're having cruelly made very cruelly yeah. made horse hormone as your replacement therapy and I presume a lot of women here or people here would not want that. No. So you Is there choose. a way to do that kindly? Is there yes, a way near the synthetic hormone replacement therapy? So, so why you just are we ask, doing that to horses? Because people make a profit from it. <sighs> it's all about profit. And um, so you you just have to you know So do your research. Do your research and choose the HRT that's synthetic rather than something okay. that's cruel to animals. And that also has a background of experimentation to it, of course, which um, has been on female animal bodies' genitals. Mm. Um, and you can imagine the pain of that. Um, but pain in mice or rats is not even registered in medical science because they're not interested in the suffering of the animals, they're interested in the drugs that they can make for profit. So you can read about this in Feminist Animal Studies shortly. And Nick, you've got okay. a chapter in that, haven't you? Um, Nick's got a chapter in that too. Nick, your, is your chapter on the link between um, cruelty to animals and domestic violence? Not the one in that book, no. But I do do a lot of research um, in that area. And what's the link between those things? Um, I mean, there's a, there's a practical link in that um, those who, if, if abuse is occurring in a family between two adults, and there's an animal, a companion animal in the family, chances are that animal is involved in the abuse somehow. Um, really? Yeah, like very often what we see are abusers using animals as coercive control. So oh, no. do this or don't do this and I'll kill your dog. <gasps> or I won't feed your dog or I won't give you the money to go to the vets if you don't do X, Y or Z as I would like you to. Um, there are far more nefarious ways that animals are used. So they can be used, they can be used in the sexual sex abuse of women as well oh. by abusers. Um, and, I mean, it's all it's these mechanisms of power. So it's the same mechanism that we're seeing between human-to-human -human abuse that we're seeing extended down to the animals in the same way that kids are used in abusive situations. Wow. Sometimes I just think people are awful. <laughs> and are we doing the right thing by allowing climate change to wipe us out? <laughs> cut. Tom, you should probably cut that out of the podcast because <laughs> it's a bleak thought. But sometimes you just think, we're the scourge of the earth. We're not... We're not we're not doing anything good for this planet. Why do we think we're so amazing we need to be saved? This isn't the message of the guilty feminist. <laughs> I did tell you I'm quite tired from the tour and I may not censor. I think it's because we've said Joe Rogan too many times. Yeah. I think I should cut this out of the podcast. Um, but we have to link off that sad mm. thing. So, so the, Can you say something? Yes. 
but it's not going to be happy. Oh, um, what could it be happier than that, that I just said? So is there, a, is there often, like, um, are there instances of people not leaving an abusive situation because they're afraid for the animal? And is, is part of the solution, does there need to be, like, if you go to a, a women's shelter or a refuge, that they can take your animal as well? Like, is that yes. something that happens now, or...? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, so it absolutely is, is the case that a lot of people will not leave abusive situations because they know their animal will be harmed. Or alternatively, just, they just love that animal and they don't want to leave, you mm. know? Um, and it's also the case that if we had more refuges that offered that kind of co-care, mm. then more people would leave. Um, and that's happening now, isn't it? I've heard of this it before. It is, yeah. There's, there's so several places around the world, um, and, and particularly we've got a couple here that are doing some really good work around this. And presumably also it, it could be a feminist act to reach out to a refuge and say if somebody is hesitating to come or they're saying, can you take my animal, that you could maybe offer to foster animals for a little while to make sure the animal was okay and that the person could visit the animal while they were in an interim situation, I think that would be a really nice thing to offer refuges because if I can also see why some refuges don't have the facilities because if they take in 10 dogs, then, yep. you know, that's, that's its own crisis. Um, uh, <laughs> so that may be something we could do. Um, could you tell us about... Um, We've got to wind up soon, but I just really want to know about the NZCHAS. Well, I'll start that off, and then I'll pass to the new co-director. We, <laughs> we know that's how it always happens, Annie. You started off, and then Nick has to finish. You throw her the ball. Yeah. Because I'm older. <laughs> she's, you know, she's like a younger sister. I've got to tell her to say the nitty-gritty stuff. Um, <laughs> So NZ Chair stands for the New Zealand Centre for Human Animal Studies and it was established in 2007 at Canterbury University, the first of its kind in the world. And thank you. And, um, <laughs> and we basically, um, it's a teaching research hub where we focus on what we call critical animal studies, which is really the study of power relations um, and intersectional relations between um, human forms of oppression and animal forms of oppression and exploitation and also um, you know we're really looking at the ways that it's sort of when you talk about critical animal studies it's a form of activist scholarship so it's not just exploring and explaining there's actually activism behind it so we want things to change that's the, one of the key things about NZ chats um, Oh, it's so it's called NZ Chaz. NZ Chaz. NZ Chaz. Yeah. NZ Chaz. So yeah. NZ Chaz. NZ Chaz. Yeah. Got it. So um, I have to do a shout out though to Philip Armstrong who actually founded it. He's somewhere here in the audience. <laughs> he's he's up here. He's up is here. Is he not here? Well, he's a very guilty feminist. No, no, feminist. He's, he's up oh, there. Okay. He is a feminist. He's a, and he's he's uh, he's a good feminist, but he's also um, very um, a very good vegan feminist. <laughs> anyway, um, so Ends Chairs is really about looking at human oppression and animal oppression, and how they link. And we have some absolutely. What I want to do a shout out to, if I have a bit of time. Yeah, good. Is our doctoral students who are here tonight. Um, so I'm hoping I remember all the names, because I'm a bit nervous. 
So I want to do a shout out for Cressida. No? Oh, yay. Emily. Kathy. This is like the Oscars, isn't it? Oh, oh Katja. My manager. Katja's just arrived from Russia as a kind of exile. Yeah, big shout out for Katja because she's new to New Zealand and actually she's. <laughs> she's escaped Russia. Um, shout out for Katja. That's something else we'll be getting at the bakery tomorrow. <laughs> I'm really sorry if I've forgotten. All, all, of, the, all of the doctorate students. Emily, did I say? Emily? Yeah. If, you, if you're a doctorate student and your name hasn't been shouted out, shout out your name now. No, you've done them all. Oh. Oh, thank you, Emily. Thank you. Um, Emily's you great. Were, She's the only extrovert amongst do you, us. <laughs> do you love Annie and Nick? Yeah, Emily's you, wonderful. She's our extrovert um, representative. You're the, you're the one extrovert academic yeah. and you're not up on the stage. Oh, oh well, I love that. Are you all vegans? For everyone. Yeah. I, no. Well, we love you and we'd love to have you on another time. Um, uh, this has been very educational and I will read more of your stuff. And uh, I, find, uh, I find you're brilliant advocates for it um, because you make me want to do it rather than oh, make you. me feel uh, shamed for not doing it, which I think is a wonderful thing. Um, <laughs> We're not vegan angelical, though. Oh, no, God, that is my word of the night. I've got to say, vegan angelical. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. It's a little bit Andrew Lloyd Webber, isn't it? Vegan angelicals can. <laughs> vegan angelicals do. <laughs> um, it's time to close the show, uh, but before we do that, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Anything you want us to read? Anything you want us to go to? Anything you need money for? Anything at all that you need help with? Told us that question was coming. We could have thought a lot about that. Um, just any anything at all that you want to plug, tell us about. Say, yeah. just anything that you came to say that you think, oh, I didn't quite make that point. I would say that you can't smash the patriarchy without including other animals. Mm. <laughs> and I would say if. If anyone here is an environmentalist or interested in climate change and stopping it, you can't do that without addressing agriculture. Stop eating meat. Simple as. Um, we had uh, the uh, head of the Environment Council on and she said the three things that we, we can do, you know, governments need to do stuff, corporations really need to do stuff, but she said there's one thing that we can all do. She said three things no one wants to do. She said... Don't have children. Don't fly on planes, and don't and don't eat animals. And uh, so uh, my thing is two out of three. Everyone's got to do two out of three. So that's when I cut back. For a long time, wasn't eating meat at all, and uh, it has crept in back in a bit. And I every day I don't have a baby. <laughs> every day I get up, continue not to have a baby. I've, I've only had one. I've had one, but I'm not going to have any more. Well, if you're not having one today, that's the best you can do. Um, uh, you have been absolutely phenomenal guests. Big round of applause for Annie Potts and Nick Taylor. And the incredible Cal Wilson. And the wonderful Tusiata Ava. Have you had a good night?
Well, in that case, uh, please, please come along next time as soon as we... we I think we're going to release the dates quite soon, um, just so we Last can keep it on a roll. Last time you said that, there was a pandemic, Deborah. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But um, please come out, and please come out again, and please bring your friends. And in the meantime, there are 300 episodes of the podcast. You can listen to those. There's a back catalogue. They're all free. They're all online, wherever you get your podcasts, Guilty Feminist. And uh, there's a book that I wrote, uh, which isn't free. You have to buy it. Please buy it. And Cal, anything you need us to do, watch or listen to or give money to? Um, uh, you can buy my kids' books, George and the Great Bum Stampede, George and the Great Brain Swappery. Um, two very serious documentaries. Um, yeah, buy my kids' books, follow me on... Uh, I'm on TikTok. What a strange place that is. Um, uh, it really is. Yes. It really uh, is. If you're not on TikTok, you're leading a full rewarding life and you don't have to go. <laughs> uh, but do follow me on TikTok on Instagram, Cowboy Wilson... And uh, I'm doing a doco that hopefully will come to New Zealand next year, but I'll have to tell you about that when I'm allowed to. Follow Cal Wilson wherever you are. Um, can I just say a huge, huge round of applause as well for uh, Michael, our tour manager, and everyone here at the James Hay Theatre? <laughs> and keep that applause going, only build it to end the show. It's the incredible Grace Petrie! Sing along, Christchurch. Uh, a few years ago, I was asked to write a song about the Spanish Civil War. Um, and. <laughs> no one's it, ever laughed at that. It was left field, Grace, to be fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that wasn't the end of the story. That was a comma, but you threw me off with the laugh. Um, but I was, I was asked to write a song about the Spanish Civil War. I didn't know anything about the Spanish Civil War, and I went away and I read about it, I learned about it. Um, and the reason I didn't know anything about it is because they don't teach us about it in schools, right? Um, and, uh, and I wrote this song because I was asked to write a song about it, but uh, this is where it comes, this is where the relevance comes in, right? With everything that we've been talking about here, this is the song that I wrote, and it ended up being about more than just that one subject. It was about uh, trying to make a better world for our children than the world we inherited, right? I think as long as we're trying to do that I'm realising as I'm saying this your whole thing was about not having children and how we need to not have children but for the children that are already here you know I don't know <laughs> um, it's complicated Cal's got some children's books I mean if we don't have children who's going to buy them I don't know um, where I'm going with this is this is a song about making a better tomorrow, right? And it's got a sing-along chorus, it's got a line where you're just going to... I'm going to shout, uh, stand up today, and you're going to reply, save tomorrow. Are you with me, Christchurch? Yeah. Okay, show it goes, it goes like this. Stand, stand up today that we might save tomorrow. Amazing, it's like three of those in the chorus, and what we do is we're just going to keep singing until the patriarchy falls. Uh, are you with me? Good. sister or my friend But you're my comrade be so silver last They shall not pass They shall not pass Now blood is running through the streets of Spain And London gripped in fear Oh smell of 
young fire sound of breaking glass You shall not pass, you shall not pass And why fight the good fight, fight the good fight Why not let them burn I dread the day when the suffering of my fellow is none of my concern So stand up today that we might save tomorrow Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Cal Wilson, and our very special guests, Annie Potts, Nick Taylor, and Tusiata Avia. 
Music was by Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and the producer was Tom Sinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Michael Hayes, Bone Presents and everyone at the James Hay Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Tuesday, this must be Christchurch. Um, <laughs> Who's going to tell her it's not Tuesday? <laughs> I've no idea what day of the week it is. Honestly, it honestly could be literally any day of the week. I've, you know that period between Christmas and New Year where you go, what are days? And you couldn't identify Thursday or anything like that. I, that's what it's like for me sometimes being on tour. What day is it? Friday. It's Friday. They've said September. <laughs> the Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else custom spray five and one only from rustoleum mom deserves better than a drugstore card this mother's day surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. add your favorite photos a heartfelt message and we'll even mail it for you the same day all for just five dollars from mom to grandma we have something to celebrate every mom in your life every mom deserves a Moonpig card Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.